Chapter seventy six of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume Two, Twenty Years After, by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ambassadors. The two friends rode rapidly down the declivity of the Faubourg, but on arriving at the bottom were surprised to find that the streets of Paris had become rivers, and the open places lakes. After the great rains which fell in January, the Seine had overflowed its banks, and the river inundated half the capital. The two gentlemen were obliged, therefore, to get off their horses and take a boat, and in that strange manner they approached the Louvre. Night had closed in, and Paris, seen thus by the light of lanterns flickering on the pools of water, crowded with ferry-boats of every kind, including those that glittered with the armed patrols, with the watchword, passing from post to post, Paris presented such an aspect as to strongly seize the senses of Aramis, a man most susceptible to warlike impressions. They reached the Queen's apartments, but were compelled to stop in the antechamber, since Her Majesty was at that moment giving audience to gentlemen bringing her news from England. "'We, too,' said Athos to the footman who had given him that answer, "'not only bring news from England, but have just come from there.' "'What, then, are your names, gentlemen?' the comte de la fere and the chevalier d'herblay said aramis ah in that case gentlemen said the footman on hearing the names which the queen had so often pronounced with hope in that case it is another thing and i think her majesty will pardon me for not keeping you here a moment please follow me and he went on before followed by athos and aramis on arriving at the door of the room where the queen was receiving he made a sign for them to wait and opening the door madame he said, I hope your majesty will forgive me for disobeying your orders when you learn that the gentlemen I have come to announce are the Comte de la Fere and the Chevalier d'Herblay. On hearing those two names, the queen uttered a cry of joy, which the two gentlemen heard. Poor queen! Oh, let them come in! Let them come in! cried the young princess, bounding to the door. The poor child was constant in her attendance on her mother, and sought by her filial attentions to make her forget the absence of her two sons and her other daughter. "'Come in, gentlemen,' repeated the princess, opening the door herself. The queen was seated on a fartoya, and before her were standing two or three gentlemen, and among them the Duc de Chatillon, the brother of the nobleman killed eight or nine years previously in a duel on account of Madame de Longueville on the Place Royale. All these gentlemen had been noticed by Athos and Aramis in the guardhouse, and when the two friends were announced, they started and exchanged some words in a low tone. "'Well, sirs,' cried the queen on perceiving the two friends, "'you have come, faithful friends, but the royal couriers have been more expeditious than you, and here are Monsieur de Flamarin and Monsieur de Chatillon, who bring me from Her Majesty the Queen Anne of Austria the very latest intelligence.' Aramis and Athos were astounded by the calmness, even the gaiety of the queen's manner. "'Go on with your recital, sirs,' said the queen, turning to the Duc de Chatillon. "'You said that His Majesty King Charles, my august consort, had been condemned to death by a majority of his subjects.' "'Yes, madame,' Chatillon stammered out. Athos and Aramis were more and more astonished.' and that being conducted to the scaffold resumed the queen oh my lord oh my king and that being led to the scaffold he had been saved by an indignant people 
just so madame replied chatillon in so low a voice that though the two friends were listening eagerly they could hardly hear this affirmation the queen clasped her hands in enthusiastic gratitude whilst her daughter threw her arms around her mother's neck and kissed her her own eyes streaming with tears now madame nothing remains to me except to proffer my respectful homage said chatillon who felt confused and ashamed beneath the stern gaze of athos one moment yes answered the queen one moment i beg for here are the chevalier d'herblay and the comte de la fere just arrived from london and they can give you as eye-witnesses such details as you can convey to the queen my royal sister speak gentlemen speak i am listening conceal nothing gloss over nothing since his majesty still lives since the honor of the throne is safe everything else is a matter of indifference to me athos turned pale and laid his hand on his heart well exclaimed the queen who remarked this movement and his paleness speak sir i beg you to do so i beg you to excuse me madame i wish to add nothing to the recital of these gentlemen until they perceive themselves that they are perhaps been mistaken mistaken cried the queen almost suffocated by emotion mistaken what has happened then sir interposed monsieur de flamarin to athos if we are mistaken the error has originated with the queen i do not suppose you will have the presumption to set it to rights that would be to accuse her majesty queen anne of falsehood with the queen sir replied athos in his calm vibrating voice yes murmured flamarin lowering his eyes athos sighed deeply or rather sir said aramis with his peculiar irritating politeness the error of the person who was with you when we met you in the guard-room for if the comte de la fere and i are not mistaken we saw you in the company of a third gentleman chatillon and flamarin started explain yourself count cried the queen whose anxiety grew greater every moment on your brow i read despair your lips falter ere you announce some terrible tidings your hands tremble oh my god my god what has happened lord ejaculated the young princess falling on her knees have mercy on us sir said chatillon if you bring bad tidings it will be cruel in you to announce them to the queen aramis went so close to chatillon as almost to touch him sir said he with his compressed lips and flashing eyes you have not the presumption to instruct the comte de la fere and myself what we ought to say here during this brief altercation athos with his hand on his heart his head bent low approached the queen and in a voice of deepest sorrow said madame princess who by nature are above other men receive from heaven courage to support greater misfortunes than those of lower rank for their hearts are elevated as their fortunes we ought not therefore i think to act toward a queen so illustrious as your majesty as we should act toward a woman of our lowlier condition queen destined as you are to endure every sorrow on this earth hear the result of our unhappy mission
Athos, kneeling before the queen, trembling and very cold, drew from his bosom enclosed in the same case the order set in diamonds which the queen had given to Lord de Winter, and the wedding ring which Charles I before his death had placed in the hands of Aramis. Since the moment he had first received these two mementos, Athos had never parted with them. He opened the case and offered them to the queen with deep and silent anguish. The queen stretched out her hand, seized the ring, pressed it convulsively to her lips, and without being able to breathe a sigh, gave vent to a sob. She extended her arms, became deadly pale, and fell senseless in the arms of her attendants and her daughter. Athos kissed the hem of the robe of the widowed queen, and rising, with a dignity that made a deep impression on those around, I, the Comte de la Fere, a gentleman who has never deceived any human being, swear before God and before this unhappy queen that all that was possible to save the King of England was done whilst we were on English ground. Now, Chevalier, he added, turning to Aramis, let us go. Our duty is fulfilled. Not yet, said Aramis. We still have a word to say to these gentlemen. And turning to Chatillon, Sir, be so good as to not go away without giving me an opportunity to tell you something I cannot say before the Queen. Chatillon bowed in token of assent, and they all went out, stopping at the window of a gallery on the second floor. Sir, said Aramis, you allowed yourself just now to treat us in a most extraordinary manner. That would not be endurable in any case, and is still less so on the part of those who came to bring the queen the message of a liar. Sir, cried de Chatillon, what have you done with Monsieur de Broy? Has he by any possibility gone to change his face, which was too like that of Monsieur de Mazarin? There is an abundance of Italian masks at the Palais Royal, from Harlequin even to Pantaloon. Chevalier, Chevalier, said Athos. Leave me alone, said Aramis impatiently. You know well that I don't like to leave things half finished. Conclude, then, sir, answered de Chatillon with as much hauteur as Aramis. Gentlemen, resumed Aramis, any one but the Comte de la Fere and myself would have arrested you, for we have friends in Paris, but we are contented with another course. Come, and converse with us for just five minutes, sword in hand, upon this deserted terrace. One moment, gentlemen, cried Flamarin. I know well that the proposition is tempting, but at present it is impossible to accept it. And why not? said Aramis in his tone of raillery. Is it Mazarin's proximity that makes you so prudent? Oh, you hear that, Flamarin, said Chatillon. Not to reply would be a blot on my name and my honor. That is my opinion, said Aramis. You will not reply, however, and these gentlemen, I am sure, will presently be of my opinion. Aramis shook his head with a motion of indescribable insolence. Chatillon saw the motion and put his hand to his sword. Willingly, replied de Chatillon. Duke, said Flamarin, you forget that tomorrow you are to command an expedition of the greatest importance, projected by the prince, assented to by the queen, until tomorrow evening you are not at your own disposal. Let it be then the day after tomorrow, said Aramis. 
"'Tomorrow, rather,' said de Chatillon, "'if you will take the trouble of coming so far as the gates of Charenton.' "'How can you doubt it, sir? "'For the pleasure of a meeting with you, "'I would go to the end of the world.' "'Very well. "'Tomorrow, sir.' "'I shall rely on it. "'Are you going to rejoin your cardinal? "'Swear first on your honor "'not to inform him of our return.' "'Conditions?' "'Why not?' "'Because it is for victors to make conditions, "'and you are not yet victors, gentlemen.' "'Then let us draw on the spot. "'It is all one to us, "'to us who do not command tomorrow's expedition.' "'Chatillon and Flamorens looked at each other. "'There was such irony in the words and in the bearing of Aramis "'that the duke had great difficulty in bridling his anger, "'but at a word from Flamorens he restrained himself "'and contented himself with saying,' "'You promise, sir, that's agreed, that I shall find you tomorrow at Charenton?' "'Oh, don't be afraid, sir,' replied Aramis, and the two gentlemen shortly afterward left the Louvre. "'For what reason is all this fume and fury?' asked Athos. "'What have they done to you?' "'They. Did you not see what they did?' "'No.' "'They laughed when we swore that we had done our duty in England.' now if they believed us they laughed in order to insult us if they did not believe it they insulted us all the more however i am glad not to fight them until tomorrow. i hope we shall have something better to do to-night than to draw the sword what have we to do egad to take mazarin athos curled his lip with disdain these undertakings do not suit me as you know aramis why because it is taking people unawares really athos you would make a singular general you would fight only by broad daylight warn your foe before an attack and never attempt anything by night lest you should be accused of taking advantage of the darkness athos smiled you know one cannot change his nature he said besides do you know what is our situation and whether Mazarin's arrest wouldn't be rather an encumbrance than an advantage? Say at once you disapprove of my proposal. I think you ought to do nothing, since you exacted a promise from these gentlemen not to let Mazarin know that we were in France. I have entered into no engagement, and consider myself quite free. Come, come. Where? Either to seek the Duc de Beaufort, or the duke de bouillon and to tell them about this yes but on one condition that we begin by the coadjutor he is a priest learned in the cases of conscience and we will tell him ours it was then agreed that they were to go first to monsieur de bouillon as his house came first but first of all athos begged that he might go to the hotel de grand charlemagne to see raoul they re-entered the boat which had brought them to the louvre and thence proceeded to the Halle, and taking up Grimaud and Blaisois, they went on foot to the Rue Guénégaud. But Raoul was not at the Hotel de Grand Charlemagne. He had received a message from the prince, to whom he had hastened with Olivain the instant he had received it. End of chapter 76 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia